Hey, are you ready to go? Yeah, I've been really looking forward to it. Awesome, let's go. <laughs> oh, is that cool or what? Huh? I feel like Tom Cruise. You know, I just think ferrets are underrated. I mean, I love ferrets. Oh man, this is crazy. You know, this date reminds me of my ex-boyfriend. He was so sensitive. Well, I mean, I could cry if you wanted me to, or... Hey, Cornerstone. Man, glad you're here. It's going to be a good day. I think you're going to enjoy what we're talking about. Real quick, man, just want to do a shout out to our Santan campus, to our Scottsdale campus, man. Thank you for being part of this. Thank you for all of you that are sitting in overflow and then in the back again in the back. Be sure and get out of here before the fire marshal shows up. But uh, thank you for doing that. And uh, we're starting a brand new series. It's a series on dating. Now, the single people in the room get it. You're going, man, finally, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this topic. There's a chance that we've got some married people in the room going, oh, okay, this may be five weeks to check out. And if you do, guys, I'm just going to tell you, it's a horrible, 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 horrible mistake if you do. Here's why. You realize the vast, vast, vast majority of marriage problems are actually single problems. Uh, it's stuff that didn't get cooked, didn't get taken care of, you didn't grow out of, you didn't understand how to, how to handle it, and you brought it to your marriage. And the reality is, it's stuff that you probably should have dealt with, probably should have come to a better place on while you were still single. And so I'm just going to tell you that all through this series, you're going to go, oh my goodness, that's a single person problem that I brought to the marriage. I need to do something about that. And then second part, if you're married, chances are you're going to have kids. I know you're trying to avoid that, but you're probably going to have kids. And, and here's the deal. Apart from their connection with God, apart from that moment in which you help them understand and explain Jesus Christ to them and what it means to have a bona fide relationship with Him, this conversation, this dating thing, may be the second most important talk that you'll ever have with your kids. And to know what to say to equip them and to help them uh, to land on dating the right type of people, because if not, if not, your son's going to marry Frida, and it's going to be bad. I'm just telling you, it's going to be bad, and you could avoid it if you'd have known, and if you could have said, and if there's any Fridas in the house, I'm sorry, but uh, you, you get it, right? And then, uh, I know we've got some grandparents, and you're going, look, <laughs> I've already screwed up my family. I'm, I'm so done uh, with any of these conversations that uh, th there's just no way. And, uh, but here's the deal. I can tell you that as a young man, I remember two or three conversations I had with my grandparents that changed my life. That there's something about being a grandparent when you give me cookies and milk that suddenly opens up a conversation and how powerful would it be if in the lives of two or three or four of your grandchildren, you landed this conversation and changed the trajectory of their lives because you changed who they were dating. And I was going to say that that may be your greatest legacy as a grandparent. So, guys, I'm just telling you, every one of us in this room needs to be checking in because somewhere this is going to be vital, vital information for all of us, okay? All right. Imagine for a moment that I'm starting an airline. And uh, as I'm starting that airline, I say to you, look, uh, we have managed to cut fares in half half of what anyone else is charging. Now, the way we're doing that is we've gone and purchased planes that the other airlines have taken out of circulation. 
But by doing that, by flying these uh, older antiquated planes, we've, we've cut fares in half. Uh, there's only one hitch, and that is that we have a 10% failure rate. And by that I mean one in 10 of our planes crashes. How many people say, man, if I get a chance to save half the fare, I'm all in for a one in 10 failure rate on planes, okay? Uh, one or two tight watches, yeah, man, put me in. But the rest of us, right? The rest of us are going, no. I'd rather pay full fare than take that risk. So let me ask you a question. We're being told right now that marriage has a 50% failure rate. Why the heck are we getting on the plane? What, why, why are we even signing up for this thing? I mean, that's, guys, we laughed at an airline with a 10% failure rate, and yet marriage, we're being told, has a 50% failure rate. Why would we ever even sign up? And the answer is, because the destination's amazing. Uh, when, if you can actually land this thing, if you can actually have this incredible relationship that God designed between a man and a woman, there is nothing like it. It, it is out of this world. And what if, ready for this? What if the failure rate in marriage isn't so much about marriage as it is about how we get to marriage? and the mistakes that we make while we're dating. And what if you and I could radically change that outcome? But here's what I'm gonna suggest to you. You and I can't change this. If we date the way our friends date, if we take our cues from social media, if Hollywood gets to tell us how we decide what person is the right person, then we're just gonna have the same old, same old that we have. But what you're gonna get challenged over the next five weeks together is this, that you and I take a radical approach to dating, that we literally change how we're doing this in such a dramatic fashion. Our friends are not gonna understand, your parents are gonna think you've lost your, it's okay, it's okay. Because you and I are looking for radically different results. And I'm gonna ask you, even if you don't understand everything that we talk about, to simply do what we talk about for six months for six months to date radically different and see what God would do if you and I simply did what the Bible prescribes for our dating lives. Okay, so uh, here we go. Grab your Bibles. Uh, it's Ephesians uh, chapter 4. If you're not real familiar today, if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to discuss today, how do you go about looking for the right one? How, how do you even know if that person is dateable? Should you even be spending your time, spending your effort, or should you keep uh, on looking? How do you do that? Now, here's what our friends do. None of us in the room would do this, but this is what our friends do, okay? Our friends uh, date a few people, you go on a couple first dates on the deal, and then suddenly there's this person that you end up having wild chemistry with. You're just like, man, I, can't, I just can't tell you. I mean, we just talked like crazy. I, I mean, we got done and it was like we couldn't get enough of each other. We've been burning up all the minutes on our phone because we've been having like these six, seven, eight hour a night uh, phone conversations. When we're not together, all we think about is being together. And it's, and, and it's just kind of, we almost can't, like, can't keep our hands off each other. I mean, just, the attraction, the chemistry that we've got is just like totally off the hook. I mean, major, major chemistry. Now, the second piece comes in, and we would say, I, I, know, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, 
I know that the person I'm dating has got some uncooked areas in their life, and they've got, they, they've got some relational things that are kind of rough, and, you know, you know, I wish they didn't. But the truth is, I can't judge them because I've got some stuff in my life too. I mean, I've got some issues in my life. So, the, the reality is, when you come to relational IQ, uh, it, it's not very high. Uh, He's got some uh, anger issues. But it's okay because we've got so much. It's not multiple choice. I'm helping you here. I'm pointing because we've got so much chemistry. Matter of fact, she's going to go, oh, I know, I know, I know. He blows his top and he gets really angry and stuff. But it's kind of cute. Because I always manage to kind of pull them back with all of our chemistry. See, he sits in this moment and he goes, no, 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 I get it. I get that she's selfish and self-absorbed. But here's the deal, wait till we get married. Then I'll lay down the law. <laughs> and because we've got so much chemistry, she'll just, yeah, she'll go, okay, no, I understand. And you know, she, you, know you first now, okay? And, and, so, and so what happens is, is that we get in this moment in which we really believe, we really, no, we don't believe, it's our friends that believe, right? But what, we, what our friends believe is that, that if you have enough chemistry, then you can take all of these relational flaws and you just rub a little bit of chemistry on them and they're all okay. Remember what we said at the beginning, the vast, 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 vast majority of the problems in marriage are single person problems that we brought with us that went unresolved. Now, if this is not bad enough, guess what our friends do next? They throw sex in the mix. And here's the problem with sex. Sex is a drug. Sex is Novocaine for the brain. And what happens when you throw sex in? Look, 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 I know you would never do this, but they would do this. And so, what happens is, all of a sudden, because they're having sex, the, the mind gets numb, and it gets clouded, and, and you can no longer see the faults or the problems in the person that you're with, because you're having sex. And suddenly there's this kind of connection, there's this drawing together, which is exactly what God designed that to do, but now because we're dating, we can't, we can't see the faults in the person that we're dating, because we're having sex. Now, if you're a married person, this is highly valuable for your marriage. That's why God gave it to you. But if you're a single person, this is disastrous. Here's why. Because as you make that physical connection, as your minds no longer are thinking clearly about the person you're with because you've developed such a deep emotional attachment to them, you no longer see their faults clearly. And this is horrific in a dating relationship. It's one of the reasons Scripture is going to come back and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't use the drugs till after. You think I'm wrong? Go to a couple sometime and say, hey, uh, do you see his anger problems? I mean, do you see just, I mean, he's got a, and he's off the charts. No. Uh, do you see that he's got integrity issues? Do you see that this guy like lies at the drop of a hat? He doesn't even need a reason to lie. He lies. No, I've never seen that. You know what you know? They're having sex. 
because sex clouds our perspective about the person we're with. Now what happens? All of a sudden our friends are gonna say stuff like this. We have this relationship, we have this, no one, no one has ever felt the way we feel about each other. What we have is special and it's unique and it's different than every other person who's ever lived. The reason you know this is because every married couple in the room said that. And so what you'll decide is, hey, we need to get married. We we need to take this relationally chaotic stew and we're gonna put it into a union. Hey, after you get married, guess what happens? Relational issues begin to grow. Uh, They come to the forefront. And when they begin to grow, anybody want to guess what happens to chemistry? (laughs) So remember that magic cure-all that you had when you were, it's gone. So in that moment, see, the guy, he feels it. He gets it. He goes, man, okay, okay, this just isn't what it was. And man, it's not, it's not, the, the connection's not there. The fun's not there. And so guess what the guy suggests? Let's have sex. That'll solve it. To which she says, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> He's mystified. That was his best shot. She goes off and begins to think for a while. He's right. Uh, We're not connecting like we once were. It it doesn't feel the way it once did. What are we going to do? And here's what she comes up with. I know. I know what we can do. It'll bond us back together. We'll get more. Let's have a baby. Oh, that's a good idea. Let's take two children and add a third. Let's do that to our relationship. Now, here's what happens. She says, let's have a baby. He thinks to himself, that requires lots of sex. I'm in. I'm in. What a great plan. And here's what I'm thinking. For the first two years, keep taking birth control. It'll be practice. I'm in. You got got any wonder? Uh, you You got any doubt? And then let's guess what happens when she's pregnant. Hormones are changing. She's going moody. <laughs> she's not feeling the same way about herself. She's getting big. She doesn't feel as sexy. And here's a guy. Guy goes, dude, I've got needs. Anybody want to guess what one of the two most common times in which a man cheats are? One of them is when she's pregnant. And you go, oh, that's horrible. What a horrible man. Well, you're right, but it's what we did. And now he's at the office, and there's that secretary there, and she's going, oh, you're so amazing. You're the best salesman on the floor. I don't understand. Why would your wife ever give you a hard time? 
And he begins to ask himself, I wonder if she's the one and I marry the wrong one. And isn't it true that the vast majority of the problems we bring to marriage were single person problems that we never got fixed? Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 15. Here's what it says. It says, instead, uh, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. And you go, oh, okay, wait, wait, Lynn. Uh, that's not a dating verse. Uh, that's a maturity verse. That's a growing up verse. You're right. But it might just be a really powerful dating verse too. And I'm going to say, I know there's some of us in the room and you're kind of pre, you're pre-Jesus, you haven't figured out God yet, and so you can, you, know, you can modify the words if you want and just say, hey, if I would resolve some of my single issues, if I would resolve some of the maturity things I need to grow up in, if I would develop in that area that I've always struggled in, I'd be a better candidate for dating. You can do it that way, but here's, before you, before you water it down to that point, let me just push into you for a second. The verse says, growing up into Christ. And I'm just going to suggest to you that if you're here and you haven't still figured out God, if you can't figure out how to have a relationship with the creator of the universe who loved you and has done nothing but good for you, if you struggle in that relationship, I'm going to suggest you're going to struggle in every other relationship of your life. And that might just be the first one you want to get fixed. Okay? All right, so let's, let's talk about this for a second. Part of how we struggle on this as we begin to look for the person to date is that we look for Mr. or Miss Right. In other words, we look for that person who is the perfect person, that perfect uh, complement to you and me. And in the midst of doing that, uh, we, we come up with this kind of idea that says, hey, I, it's kind of like I'm half of a coin. And uh, I know I've got flaws and I know I've got faults. But if I could find the other perfect half of that coin, we would so complement each other that we would be perfect together. So I, I, I know, I know, I know that, that I've got some undone stuff in my singleness, and I, I know, you know, maybe, maybe I'm only half, you know, way where I need to be. But if I could find the person who was the perfect other half, then we'd get together and we would make a really cool whole together. So what we believe is, is that relationship math is addition. And if we take half a person and we marry the right other half of a person, that somehow they complete us and we become a whole marriage. Now guys, I'm just going to tell you, there could be no more disastrous way of thinking about relationships. Let's see if I can help. Let's say, let's say the thing that you struggle in is dollars. Uh, you've never seen a sale that you didn't like. I'm going to save you money because it was on sale. So I'm going to spend us to prosperity. But even though that may be your downfall, you are super patient. 
So you decide, hey, the person I'd be a great compliment to is somebody who's very angry. Well, I got patience, they got angry, you know, we'd be probably perfect in the middle. And then, and because I've got money problems, I need somebody when it comes to money that they're a total tightwad. I mean, that, that would be like a great compliment. You know, I need that person who takes the toilet paper and peels the two halves apart and then rolls it back up so you don't waste any. I mean, that would like be the perfect compliment to my spending. What do you think is going to happen the first time she goes out and maxes the charge card at the sale? How do you think he's going to respond? Because, because, you ready for this, guys? Two halves don't make a whole in relationship. Because relationship math is not addition. Relationship math is multiplication. You take a half a person, put him in marriage that only magnifies our weaknesses. Who's a math person here? What happens when you multiply half by a half? What do you get? And you'll end up with a quarter of a marriage because this will create chaos in the relationship. Here's the other thing. If you're looking for that perfect person, that, that perfect right person, in other words, that one person who's the person you're supposed to marry, they're already taken. <laughs> Sorry, they're already taken. Okay, so here's a set of couples. This is you, and this is the perfect person for you. Here's the problem, him. This guy's messed up, and this guy has no idea how to find the perfect right person for him. So he meets her, but he doesn't like her, so instead he marries her. Well, now he's stuck because his perfect person is gone. So in desperation, he simply finds the next best option. This guy now, he's left in the cold, so he marries the perfect person for you. Do you, you realize the perfect person for you is long, long gone? <laughs> and then, if that's not bad enough, think about the kids. <laughs> the kids are doomed. They never should have been born because <laughs> their parents are all the wrong people for each other. And guys, you ready? It's just dumb. It's not true. Matter of fact, what you're going to find as you investigate Scripture, no matter what Hollywood says, no matter what makes for a good novel, it's not one right person. It's a right type of person. And Scripture is going to begin to outline for us. Matter of fact, one of the things we're going to do together in the next couple of weeks is you're going to get a card that looks like this. And on this side here, it just says my five non-negotiables, the five things that the person I'm going to be serious about has to possess in their life. And here's the really cool part. Out of the five, God's only going to require two. God's going to say, here's two things that have to be true of that person you begin to seriously date. The other three are up to you. So if you go, hey, they just got to have dark brown hair and really dark brown eyes and have a body that's just like va-voom, va-voom. Well, then you can put va-voom, va-voom on there. You can do that. It's okay as long as you reserve the first two for him. Okay? And suddenly, you ready for this? When, you get, when we get this figured out together, you're going to have people walk in the room, and you're going to go, not a chance. 
You're a two on the scale of five, buddy. But the cool part, you ready for this? The cool part is when a five walks in, you're going to go, oh, wow. And you're going to instantly be drawn. And you're going to save yourself a whole bunch of lousy dates. Okay? Here's the other thing that happens. When you and I get focused on this idea of, hey, I've got to find Mr. Right. I've got to find Miss Right. I've got to find that perfect uh, match to me. And that's this. That very often they're not in the room. Very often you and I look and we go, there's a bunch of twos. There, there's no fives in the room. And when you and I have done that, and you and I have, then we start getting angry, don't we? We start going, hey, God, what, what, what's going on? I'm ready. I mean, I'm ready. My eggs are getting old. I'm ready. <laughs> and God's not doing it, and all of a sudden, you're going, all right, all right, all right, look, here's the deal. So apparently you need a little bit of my help. And so here's what I'm going to do. There's there's none of the right type of people. None of them, you know, make this. And so I'm just going to date Mr. or Miss right now. I'm going to date the best of the crop. And then here's the deal. When you bring the right person in the room, I'll dump the other one. And then I'll go with the right person. And so we go out. We go to the bars, we, go, we start stalking people at the airport. We, we do whatever it takes, because you got to find the right person, because you got to be with someone, right? The worst thing that could happen in your life is that you settle for Mr. or Miss right now. That you all of a sudden say, hey, look, no, 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 I know this isn't the person, it's not who I want to be with long term, but they're, they're Mr. or Miss right now. They're the ones that are available now, and I just don't want to feel lonely anymore, so I'm willing to date them for the time being. Because guess what's going to happen right after you do this? He's going to walk in the room. She's going to walk in the room. And here's what's going to happen in that moment. Two things. He or she, it goes both ways, right? Okay. Is going to look and go, hey, uh, you're unavailable. Because you realize there's such a thing as guy code, right? You don't date another guy's girl. You cause them to break up, but you don't date them while they're (laughs) dating, right? And there's kind of girl code, you know, you don't steal another girl's man, right? So the minute they walk into the room, they see you dating, they're going to go, oh, no, no, they're taken. But maybe more importantly, you ready for this? They're going to assume you're like the person you're dating. And if you're dating a two on the card, they're going to be pretty confident you're not a five on the card. And guys, let's be honest, we do this all the time. Ladies. You see a guy, and he's dating the skankiest girl in the room. Come on, you've said worse than skank. (laughs) My pastor said skank. I'm not going to say what you said. But ladies, if you see him dating that girl, you make immediate assumptions about what type of guy he is, don't you? Guys, you see a guy who is a hit it and quit it guy. That's all he's in it for. And he's dating her. You pretty much think you know who she is, don't you? Because, because, because we assume people are like the people they date. 
which means he's going to say, she cannot possibly be the one I'm looking for. She's going to say, he cannot possibly be the man that I'm looking for because they're dating Mr. or Miss right now. Years ago, I'm in Bible college, and I was teaching a college-age Sunday school class. One Sunday, an amazingly beautiful blonde came walking into the class, instantly took note, but she was with another guy. And so I waited uh, till I thought they had broken up. I call her on the phone. I said, hey, Lisa, uh, would you consider? <laughs> Some of you know that, that that's my wife, but uh, <laughs> this may have been a different Lisa. This may have been. Um, so I said to Lisa, I said, Lisa, would you consider going on a date? To which she promptly said, no. Uh, months later, her friends convinced her that that was the worst mistake of her life, and uh, she agreed to date me. We go out on our first couple dates, and as we do that, it turns out the first date we went on, you ready for this? The first date we go on, I was her third date for the day. <laughs> Not saying what that means, I'll leave that up to you, okay? Third date of the day. And so while we're at, on the date, you know, I kind of start asking her about who she is. I, I, start inquiring about these other guys that she's dating, and based on who those guys were, I was able to start making an assessment. At the time, Lisa was bartending, and I had a pretty good idea what the lifestyle was around that, and I'm getting ready to be a pastor. And I just said, not the girl I'm looking for. Matter of fact, so much so that about a month later, when I actually decided to move back to Arizona, uh, I didn't even bother calling Lisa to tell I was leaving town. Uh, there, there just wasn't any possibility there. Because, 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 you ready for this? Because he will assume, she will assume, you are like the people you are dating. How do we turn this around? How do we do something that's just radically different than what our friends are doing? What if you and I decided to become the one that the person we're hoping to date is looking for? What if you and I said, look, 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 instead of stalking people in the airport, instead of going on all the different dating sites, instead of trying to hunt somebody down, what if I simply said, my, my attention is no longer going to be that direction, I'm going to concentrate on becoming the person that the person I want to date is hoping to date. So that when they walk into the room, they immediately go, wow, there's what I was looking for. True story. There's a young lady, she's about 28. When she'd been younger, she'd been involved in church, she went to every single class, she'd been one of the leaders in the youth group, but then she got to college. And college was what college is for many of our lives. And she just went with her friends and began to do what everybody else in college was doing. And she would say to you, it's not like I gave up on God and it's not like I, you know, decided that God wasn't real. I, I just figured, hey, this is, this is what singles do. And so I'm going to do this. This is this season of having fun and messing around in my life. Now she gets to about 28, and she starts saying, I'm, I'm not sure this is paying off very well. I, 
I think maybe I need to reconsider. And so she begins to go back to church. Third time back at church, she meets a guy in the singles group. And he's amazing. He's the guy. He's, he's absolutely sold out for Jesus. He's this amazing, amazing, trustworthy uh, man. Uh, he's got an incredible personality. There's this instant connection and butterflies. And it's just remarkable. And so she goes home to her mother and uh, says to her mother, I, I think I just met the man I'm going to marry. I, this guy was everything I've ever hoped for and even things I didn't know I wanted in this guy. And she describes him to her mother. True story. And her mother turns to her and says, oh, honey, that guy, that guy's not looking for a girl like you. you realize how critical it is to be the person that the person you're hoping to be with is looking for when they come in the room. And, and rather than getting angry, what she could have done, and rather becoming defensive in that moment, what she couldn't have done, this young lady walked into the living room, got on her knees, and said, God, I need you to make me the person, the person I'm looking for, is looking for. Now, here's the cool part about this. When you become that person, when you begin to grow and start saying, look, I'm going to deal with what's still not cooked in my life. I'm going to start growing through the things where I'm immature in my life. I'm going to start following Christ like I've never followed Christ in my life. When you start becoming that person, it absolutely helps you recognize the people who aren't that person and the people who are. How many of you have ever watched reality TV? Okay, what about the rest of you? <laughs> You're liars. Okay, so for those of you that have never watched reality TV, let me fill you in. So you all of a sudden you're watching the show and all of a sudden there's this gal on there, she's going, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar. You lie all the time, you lie. And her boyfriend goes, I don't lie, I, I only lie once in a while, but this isn't a lie this time, but sometimes I lie, but not this time I don't lie. Goes, no, you're a liar, you're a liar. You lie on everything. No, I only lie on the good things. And they're going back and forth. Here's what I believe in that moment. Here's what you believe in that moment. He's probably a liar but so is she. You know how you know that? Because if she had been a woman of integrity and had paid the price to tell the truth in the hardest moments of her life, if she was a woman who had cooked that part of her character, when she went on that second date with him and he told a lie and she caught him in the lie, guess how many more dates they would have had? Maybe one to find out if he'd do it again but never a second. If you do. Why? Because when you've worked so hard to allow God to develop that character in you, you're looking for someone who has that character in them. And I'm just telling you, when you allow God to grow you up, when you allow God to do in you what he, it instantly, it instantly helps you weed out the crop. Second thing, when you become the person that the person you want to be with is looking for, it suddenly makes you highly attractive. It, it makes you a rare commodity. 
So I told you about moving back and leaving Lisa in Texas. And about a year and a half later, I get a phone call from my friend. He says, hey, Lynn, uh, I've, I'm getting married. Would you come and be the best man at my wedding and then help me move back to Arizona? I said, well, sure, I would do that. And he says, hey, while you're here, you should maybe check out Lisa again. And I said, no, 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 no. I have already dated her. I already know the answer to that question. And he says, Lynn, no, no, no. Here's what you don't know. From the time you left, her life has radically changed. Matter of fact, the serial dater has only had one or two dates in a year and a half because she's only dating guys who are sold out to Jesus. And a matter of fact, uh, she's become a youth sponsor in the youth group. She's probably the best sponsor in the youth. She's gone to camp. She was a counselor. Her life is radically, radically changed. I fly out to Dallas. I get there. There's Lisa. My friend and his fiance haven't planned their wedding. So for the next four days, uh, Lisa and I pull off a wedding. So we start at 6 o'clock in the morning. We're together until midnight at night. And... We're just spending all this time together. And as we did, suddenly I realized the incredible transformation that had happened in Lisa's life, and she was wildly attractive to me. So much so, and I'm not going to suggest this for anybody else, after four days I asked her to marry me. No, I, I, get, I get the hesitation. So here's, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not. I was 21 and a little naive. But here's all I'm saying. When you become the one that the one you're looking for is looking for, you will become wildly attractive to them. What if... What if the reason God hasn't brought you the one right now is because you're six months away from being cooked? That, that, that he still has six more months of work to do in you, six more months of lessons to do in you, so that when the one walks into the room, that they would be able to recognize you and be wildly attracted to you. And God says, no, no, no. If I brought him today, they would see you and move on. But six months from now? Six months from now, you could be the one. Wouldn't you be willing not to date if six months from now, you could be the one? Or well, let's put it on the other foot, because I know some of you are going, well, Lynn, that can't possibly be the answer because I'm done. I'm fully cooked. I'm amazing. <laughs> so it ain't that. All right, well, what if the one that is the one for you, what if they're six months away? Wouldn't the most gracious thing that God could possibly do is keep you apart for the six months until they get to where they need to be so that when they walk in, you'd go, oh my goodness, look at him, look at her. And wouldn't this be an absolutely radical way, a radical shift in the way we date? If we stop searching for the one, and decided to become the one. Married people. What if you and I spent six months not waiting for our spouse to become the one, 
And we instead spent the next six months being the one, being the husband she always hoped for, being the wife he dreamed of. If you and I spent six months being the one, it would radically change our marriages, wouldn't it? And so here's the call. Step number one. Remember I told you it was going to cost. I told you it wasn't going to be easy. Would you for six months stop looking for the one, stop waiting for them to be the one, and spend six months being the one? Which means, you ready for this? You're probably going to go to church in the next six months a lot more than you've ever gone to church. And you're probably going to read your Bible a whole bunch more than you've ever read your Bible in the next six months. And you're probably going to join a group, a small group or a small church or a singles group, but you're going to, because you've got to get more done in the next six months than has ever been done in six months in your life so that you could be the one. Let's bow our heads. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do. Everybody's head is bowed. Nobody's looking around. But if you would say today, hey, you know what, Lynn? I think the challenge today is a challenge for me. I think God is speaking to my heart and saying, I want you to stop worrying and I want you to stop running around trying to find the one. And I want you to become the one. For married people in this room, you say, you know, I'm going to spend six months not focusing on my spouse and trying to change them, I'm going to spend six months changing me. I'm going to become the one they hoped I was when they married me. And if that's your commitment, you say, Lynn, I, th I think that's what God's doing. That's, I I'm ready to take this first step. Then with everybody's head bowed, everybody's eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to have the courage to raise your hand and say, Lynn, I I'm going to spend six months becoming the one. Becoming the one. Man, all over this room. All over this room. And I'm just going to applaud your courage because I'm telling you, if you'll do this, if you'll follow through, it will change you. It'll change you. Let me pray. Hey, Lord Jesus, you saw the hands. You also saw the hearts of some of us in this room who probably should have raised our hand. And I'm just going to ask that even as we leave this place, that you would bug us, bother us about becoming the one. God, this is radically different. It's not how our friends date. It's not what we've seen on TV. But we want a radically different outcome for our lives. And so we're willing to try. So God, do what only you can do with a surrendered heart and an obedient soul. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.